This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I just find as women, sometimes we apologize too much. And I know I fall into that category a lot. You know, sometimes I think, oh, do I deserve it? The imposter syndrome, as we've all heard before, without a doubt, it's alive and well in me almost every day, you know, and you just start thinking, God, let it go. Just let it go. Hello, and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Greta Thomas. And I'm Claire Hatton. And you are in the right place if you're after inspiration, uplifting stories and practical advice from innovative and pioneering women around the globe. So if you're looking to get ahead or trying to figure out what's next for you, stay tuned. And if you're enjoying our podcast, share it with a friend now. Absolutely. Share the love, people. And now to this week's episode. This week's guest has an insatiable passion for learning and the future. And she has the portfolio to prove it. We're talking about international company director, entrepreneur, and global philanthropist, Laura Anderson. Indeed we are. Laura grew up near Chicago in the US, and she found out early on that she was good at maths and loved ideas, and so set about immersing herself in areas and subjects that fascinated her. That why not attitude led her to the technology industry where she worked around the world for companies such as HP, KPMG and Perro Systems, as well as starting her own company. Laura is now based in Australia, where she's the chair of SVI Global, Launch Vic and chair of the Foundation for the Advancement of Science and Technology in Schools. She's also on the board of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, Etworth Healthcare, the National Basketball League, the board of the Fulbright Commission and the Defence Science Institute. Wow. And don't forget, of course, her involvement in the Space Programme and the World Conference for the Creative Economy and all of her work empowering women. It's a huge portfolio. Yeah, it? it sure is. It's an incredible portfolio and we haven't even mentioned everything. In this episode, you'll learn how Laura goes about influencing people, particularly in male-dominated environments, what tools and tactics she uses to manage her mindset, how she thinks about her global network, and it's a serious network, her advice to entrepreneurs, and why Laura's on a mission to Mars. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy this episode with the very accomplished and delightful Laura Anderson. 
Well, Laura Anderson, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Amazing. Hello, Greta. Hello, Claire. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. And thank you for hosting us in your beautiful home here in Melbourne in Australia. Oh, I love the name of this program. Don't (laughs) stop. It's all about the power of momentum. But anyway, thank you for having me. Well, I'd love to kick off. And as a way of helping our listeners understand a little bit about you, how would you describe the different hats or roles that you have today? Because it seems you have an amazingly diverse menu of things that you do. Yeah, no, probably three key things. You know, one is I'm a mother and a family member, a friend. So it's that personal aspect to my life. So there's a lot of elements that go with that. The second is what I do locally. So I try and do what I can to give back to the community. So that's where different boards that I'm on, whether it's Epworth Healthcare, so hospital system to launch fix, so developing the entrepreneurial ecosystem to major events, which is kind of global trade and investment. So that's what I do on the local level. But that then sky hooks to kind of that global agenda. So I also do a lot on the global stage, whether it's in the creative sector, so the World Conference for the Creative Economy through the UN, or different things that I'm doing now, again, around the space program, and what that means on both the supply and demand side. And what, you know, if you had to summarize your passions, because there's such a diverse range even there, you know, what are your your true passions? Yeah, my passions, really simple, or I, I call it my mission to Mars. Yeah. So it's about creating sustainable ecosystems. So I'm very focused on the future of. So what it means is for me, it's the future of water, the future of energy, the future of food, the future of textiles and the wearable environment and what it takes to get people to Mars. And if we can stretch our way of thinking thinking to say, what does it mean to create sustainable ecosystems? Therefore, what kind of transformation must happen here, locally and globally on Earth, to enable that to happen? To me, that's the future of industries, that's the future of sectors, and that is what inspires me. That's so fascinating. I love that big picture thinking and kind Mm. of always sort of love being in that space so I can relate to that. Where did that come from? What was the root of, you know, your big thinking and your desire to make that impact on the world? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. If I try and go back to the root of that, I think... You know, I talk so often about my father's impact on me and my life, and he was always a why not person. I was the eldest of four, and he always said, Laura, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? Are you going to be president of the United States? Are you going to be an astronaut? You know, and it was always anything's possible. And I love that way of thinking. So I'd probably say maybe that was one of the first seeds that was planted in my mind and my psyche. And it helped me think broadly and think that anything is possible. And so maybe that's where it started. And then over time, I think I listen and I try and learn and I try and imagine. And even though I'm a mathematician, I think I have a creative mindset And that's, I think, probably how I weave together my diverse portfolio. So, you know, for me, it's probably its root is in an interest in learning, an interest in exploring, an interest in innovating. Yeah, no, Mm. I can hear that through everything that you do. Mm. But going back to your childhood, where did you grow up? 
Oh, I grew up in this beautiful town called Naperville, Illinois. In the um, U.S.? In the U.S., yes, thank you. It was kind of this middle-class, hard-working environment of people who had great aspirations for their children and their children's children. My family was the same way, and so they moved there, and I grew up, and we basically created the community together. So when you were a kid, what did you want to do with your life? Well, it's interesting. I always wanted to be an astronaut. There's no question mm. about that. You know, and I purposely wanted to find the cure for cancer because my grandfather went through a really challenging time. So what did you actually go and do after you left school? I had a scholarship to medical school. But then over the course of the first, you know, just inducting myself into that, I got heavily, heavily involved in technology. I um, always said, okay, I'll go back to Caltech is where I was heading, nuclear medicine, and I'll go into research. But right now I want to understand tech a bit more. And I was immersing myself with what I call big brains, you know, people who really think differently. And I had this wonderful opportunity to work with John Young at Hewlett Packard. Were you aware at that time just how transformative tech was going to become in all of our lives and society and the way we worked? Mm. Um, no. Yeah. No idea. You know, yeah. no one knew what tech was. No one knew what the valley was. Yes. You know, back then it yeah. was just, you know, Cupertino and Menlo Park and, you know, San Francisco and San Jose. And so not really. But what did I love about it? What I loved about it, it was that why not thinking you know, that industry sector, and it was about constant transformation. And it was around the time when centralized computer systems went to decentralized. There was constant innovation. So you were never bored. And yeah, I, I always had a passion for learning and travel. Early in my career, I ended up you know, I was in China, deep in China since 1984, you know, way before Westerners really did a lot of business there and so many funny stories about what went on. And, you know, so went into Asia early on, Japan negotiated huge contracts, but, you know, I had to be culturally sensitive, but I was young, I was a woman, but I was there structuring all these big contracts like with Hitachi and others, but I knew when to exit the room, you know, as the contracts were signed. And how did you know? Like, cause you know, know, it's quite difficult, I imagine, mm. in the early days of experience there. Yeah, I did research, you know, I asked questions. I wasn't too precious about my role in it. You know, I was focused on the outcome versus mm. just, you know, myself and being an advocate for myself. So. We've heard that before. Um, one of our guests based in Latin America, Margarita mm. Hedothia, she says that sometimes, even though she's the CEO of the company, she'll let her team do the negotiation because they're men and she can tell that the other party is not going to engage with her as well. They're not doing the eye contact thing. They're mm. only looking at her deputies. So she'll happily do that if it's the best outcome for the business. Yep. And it sounds like there are times where that has happened to you as well. I've definitely subscribed to that. Now, that doesn't mean that that behavior is acceptable. No. Right? Yeah. But it's focusing on outcomes. And then through your program, how amazing, and the work that you guys do, it's incredible that we're, we're working on the transformation. But we also don't want to break the links, you know, to bring everyone with us on that journey. So, you know, I think if you're able to lead by example by driving outcomes and focus on those outcomes and being inclusive but never letting go of the behavioral changes that need to happen, then I think, you know, the world will be a better place and we'll be more effective in our agenda. I've become a woman's advocate more the older I get yeah. and the 
further I go on in life, I really never thought of myself as a woman or, you know, I just was a person. I'm just Laura. But as I've gone on in my career, and I don't know if it's the country I'm living in, I don't know what it might be, but I I find that now there, without a doubt, is an unconscious bias, which plays out in so many ways. For example, a bank that I've worked with, whenever I'd call my banker to ask for information or a loan, they would call my husband and let him know that I asked for that. It was amazing. So frustrating. Amazing. Yeah. And not tell me they were doing that. And, you know, that was just their process. Whenever he called them, they'd never call me and ask me. It was amazing. So it's those subtle things. And they didn't even realize they were doing it. So yeah. Was that recent? Subtle exa- <laughs> very recent, yeah. Mm. So very interesting, actually. So that's one example. And I think that unconscious bias plays out in so many ways. We hear about it in AI. So artificial intelligence and the way computer systems are designed now and the rules base that Absolutely. go into it. And that's why Girls Who Can Code, I think this whole STEM agenda, as you know, is a passion area of mine as well. And making sure that women are at the table, they're coding, they're opting in, because otherwise the autonomous systems will be driven by exactly coders who are men, and it's a different way of thinking. So I think, you know, the more we can have an all-inclusive society, but have more women opt in on coding, engineering, science, mathematics, and then how that then translates into the new world order order of big data, you know, looking at, again, analytical systems. Yeah, absolutely. We couldn't be more aligned. It's why the podcast exists. Exactly. We do not want a single segment of society, and at the moment it's predominantly white men, writing all the rules and the code that will determine all these autonomous systems. That's not going to be good for anybody. No, absolutely. Now, I just want to rewind a bit because we've got to HP. Yeah. Oh, I first went and I worked on a project with Ross Perot and Pro Systems at the time that he was merging EDS with General Motors. And he had to not make a profit for three years, right? So he invested time and, and money in entities. So I worked with Ross for about a year and a half on that. And during that time, that's where I met Steve Jobs. That's when they invested in and I was just one of the team members, but in Next, which became yeah. Pixar. So I was able, I was at the table and I was listening. I was in all the meetings, like, you know, super deep on the inside. And I learned so much at that point in time. And and I helped my father, who had a business, and it was a, a product called GAINS, which stands for General Adaptive Inventory System. So I helped him commercialize it. You know, he was a purist engineer, and he didn't really understand the front-end GUI interfaces and marketing. And so I worked with him on that. And from that, my entity was built and launched and developed. And it was called Gain System Southwest at the time. And what it was is, and I had it for 10 years, it had two parts to the business. Tactical global supply chain automation was one side of the business. The other side was the operationalizing strategy. And those are my specialties, if you will, leading transformation. So had that for 10 years. And then, you know, around the time when I moved to Australia, I evolved my operationalizing strategy into a more local 
context here in Australia, still with that global link. But then the Gaines product lives on, and it's in the Gartner Magic Quadrant, and my brother's running the business now, and it's still alive and well in the biggest companies in the world. So yeah, it's very exciting. Fantastic. So then you you met your husband at times to come to Australia? I did. I didn't come to Australia because of him in the first place. Yeah. So I was here, I was had a place in Hong Kong in Repulse Bay and a place in Milton Keynes outside of London. So I did little figure eights of the world and I had a pretty fabulous lifestyle, you know. So I was 33 years old and just doing those nice little figure eights. But I love New Zealand and I almost moved there before wow. Australia. Mm. And Amazing I think how life takes you, isn't it? Well, it really yeah. is. Yeah. And I, you know, a variety of things led to my ending up in Australia. But one of the projects I was working on was with telecom at the time. So I had a team working on optimizing the spare parts that support telecommunications in Australia. So they did that through Ericsson with telecom when they were going through privatization of the telecommunication industry here. So I'd kind of travel through Australia once every eight weeks. And then through that, I gave a talk. There was um, the first master's program in logistics was at RMIT. So they knew about me, I guess, and they asked if I'd speak at the first graduating class in logistics management in Australia. So first master's in logistics. So I came in, I spoke at that the class had two components to it. One was Coles Meyer, so it was the largest retailer in Australia. So they were half of the class. The other half was Department of Defense. So at that point in time, I gave my talk, and someone said, would you come back and help um, KPMG had written a report on technology's impact on defense logistics. So they said, would you come back and do an independent review of that report? It was interesting. I thought about it and I thought, oh, should I? And I happened to sit next to my husband. There you go. Little happenstance here. But on a plane flight between Melbourne and Hobart, Tasmania, And this was three days before I was leaving the country. And I'm not impulsive, but it just seemed so right. And so I kind of looked around and I thought, "Mm, why not? And so I came back for six weeks, which became six months, which now has become 28 years. That's mm. incredible. What a story. So I'd love to segue. I'd love to take you back to Gaines Systems. And there you are. You know, this sounds still very male-dominated kind of industry. What do you think, as a relatively young woman charting the course for this business, what do you think one or two of the key lessons would have been for you? To my success in that Well, that that you learnt in actually being there because there must have been some really – WTF moments like what do I do next you know or how how do I get these people to listen to me yeah I'm a big believer in planning and focusing on outcomes so what did I learn so what I during that gains era but it transcends into today in my life both personally and professionally is I always try and understand the outcome and then the four different kinds of buyers. So in order to make something happen, I just said, what outcome do we want now? Who's the economic buyer, right? Who's the person who has to sign off on the financial investment required? And who are the user buyers, the people who will be impacted by whatever decision needs to be made? And then who are the technical buyers? Those are the ones who can derail it, right? Just by saying no, you know, either it doesn't fit our technology platform, or doesn't fit our culture, whatever it might be. And 
again, I was always thinking about how to optimize around those constraints. Is there a fourth buyer? And the fourth buyer is the coach. And that coach ideally is someone, good, good thing. (laughs) The coach ideally is someone who's one of those buyers, ideally the economic buyer, but it could be any of them. So I would always identify and curate that group of people and try and understand. And, And it was through open dialogue and communication. And I found the more prepared you were, the more you pre sold. So I'd make sure I would touch base with people and, you know, phone interviews, whatever it took before I got to the meeting. So it's almost curating the outcome before you got everyone in the same room. And then again, people got to know you, they trusted you. So it's that trust agenda. Do you have any tips for for young women who might feel they're struggling to be taken seriously around the table, particularly because there may be more, way more men around that table than women and they may be younger. Do you have any tips to how they can earn that trust more effectively. Yeah, interesting. Earn the trust. You or know. be more effective and be heard. Yeah, exactly. So earn the trust on one hand. What does that mean, right? So, you know, you're there, but, you know, be more effective, yes. And and for me, that more effective, I think, is believe in yourself, be prepared, without a doubt, and back yourself through competence, you know, and make sure if you're prepared, if you know your stuff, don't doubt yourself. I love that, you know, the adage, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Mm. And I find whenever I get the niggles are a bit too loud and too deep, I try and say, what am I really afraid of? And I'll step back just for a minute and pause and say, "Mm, it's really not that bad, is it? And then I can walk through any door. Now, I do that, and let's say I'm giving a speech or I'm going into a really important meeting. <laughs> I usually, this is a bit of a funny thing. I'll go into the ladies' room because usually it's a male dominated environment, so I can be by myself. You know, it's quite good. <laughs> That's the nice thing about ladies' rooms. And I'll just go in and I do, I'll, I'll center myself and I, I just, I visualize the outcome. So I'd recommend to, listeners that what they do is they again it's you can hear I keep using the word outcome but you know you visualize what outcome do you want from a meeting or from an engagement or you know from whatever initiative you're working on and you keep that front of mind and then you understand what your role is in that and you really believe it and you know you don't doubt yourself and you back yourself and then when you go into that tactical engagement you make sure that you're you understand What's the worst thing that can happen? And you just let go of those little niggles, you know, and you just go into a meeting as the individual who's extremely competent and capable. And you let go of men, women, you let go of blonde, brunette, you know, you let go of white, black, it doesn't matter, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, whatever it might be. You let go of any stereotypes and you just go in as this human being who's incredibly capable and you just deliver on the outcome. I imagine that, you know, you see quite a lot of young people working in your capacity, for example, as chair of Launch Vic, which is the government's organization to encourage entrepreneurialism and innovation in this state. What do you observe that, you know, you wish of only young women could do a little bit more of X or be a little bit more Y? What would you say, you know, is common advice that you find yourself giving or wanting to give to young women you observe today? Back yourself and have fun. It's really as simple as that. You know, if you go at something with passion and you believe in yourself, but you're having fun on the journey, I mean, isn't that what life's about? And work with amazing people who inspire you 
but know that you have to bring a, a variety of people with you on that journey. So again, some of the things we talked about earlier, it's all about, you know, that journey and how do you, you can only move as fast as the weakest link. So always understand your audience and make sure that you're clear on the outcome, but also on the audience's capability to move as quick as you might want to move. But yeah, I, I just find as women, and sometimes we apologize too much. And I know I fall into that category a lot. You know, sometimes I think, oh, do I deserve it? The imposter syndrome, as we've all heard before, and without a doubt, it's alive and well in me almost every day, you know, and you just start thinking, God, let it go. Just let it go. How do you let it go? I do my little meditations. I try and practice what I've said here on the program and take a deep breath. And then, you know, I guess the thing that I do visualize is I visualize the end outcome, but with everybody together on the same team. And if it's a speech, everyone's smiling and, and satisfied with the outcome. And that kind of drives me forward. Yeah. A lot of it sounds to me like it's mindset. Yeah, without a doubt. It's mindset. It's a visualization. You can hear I, I really rely on that a lot. And I do that little headspace meditation every day. And I find it's really nice centering yeah. for me. And because for me, there's values are such a fundamental part of my life. So I believe strongly. And, you know, if you believe in what you're doing, and it's aligned with your value system, then, you know, everything else just follows. So what's your advice for someone who speaking about myself, full can disclosure here, you know, that can tend to worry too much. And mm. probably if I think about in hindsight, I've probably frittered and wasted time yeah. worrying versus being in the moment and having fun. You know, what's your advice to someone who can worry too much about yeah. things? No, isn't it true? The and I think it's a female trait. Oh, I, I do too. Mm. Even and though we I care about security and all those things. Sorry mm. to interrupt you, but yeah. Mm. No, agreed. And it's that, you know, Maslow triangle, you know, what do yeah. we let go of and what are we fearful? What would you do if you weren't afraid? Mm. And back to that. Ask yourself that question all the time. And and do we waste time worrying? Yes, I, I know I do. And gosh, I just go, Laura, let it go, let it go. And so it's that self-talk. And I think mm. we do need to work on that self-talk. And when I've gone through challenging times, I try and work on my fitness. So I walk most mornings and I try, I'll go and I, I say these little mantras you know, and I don't know if it's of interest, but you know, yeah. I, yeah. What, what what's your mantra? So walk along, and I always start out with some deep breaths, and I I just start every day in every way. I'm getting fitter and stronger. You know, and I say that over and over and over. And as I'm doing these little funny arm movements, and people on the street are probably going, "What is she doing?" Uh -huh. But so I do that, and then you know, I just say, "I love my life." So those are the two things. It sounds really simple, but they empower me and inspire me. And then I come back and I usually walk my 10,000 steps. So I have my pedometer and I'm ready to start the day. And yeah, my mind's reset mm. into a really good space. And so that's what I do. I think those mantras are just so important. Mm. I remember there was a point where I was struggling with work and being motivated. And every day I would be in my car on the way to work going, I love my job and I'm great at what I do Yes, over and over and over. And it's amazing how it starts to shift you, isn't it? I agree completely. Yeah. You know, one of the things that as I hear about your story and I, and I get to know you more and more that I 
think is absolutely phenomenal is your ability to connect people and build this incredible network. Now that doesn't come easy to everybody. So how do you actually go about that? Or how do you advise others to go about that? Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. How do you advise others? It's something I always get surprised, even now you've asked me. But yes, I'm asked that all the time. And when people say, Laura, your network is amazing, you know, I almost kind of feel uncomfortable with that yeah. because I I find it almost cheapens the relationships that I have because it's not, it's never been for me about building networks, you know, even though we talk about the importance of networks, right? So what it comes back to is this concept of opting in. And you'll hear I use that a lot, that concept of opting in. And I love people, genuinely, sincerely love people. I love learning from people. I love delivering outcomes. I advise, again, be true to yourself, but understand your audience, understand the outcome that they want, help them to be successful, but just do it with authenticity and passion. And, you know, some people might have, I guess, a greater affinity with people than others. You know, some people are prefer to be quiet and to themselves. Others are extroverts and versus introverts. And I don't know what I am actually, because I'm very private in and of myself. Like I love my personal time and I love my privacy, but I also don't mind anyone asking me anything. So I'm happy to be transparent and share that. And I think perhaps that's what creates that environment of safety Maslow's Triangle, safety and trust. And that's probably what's led to my global network. And it's also the volume of work I've done (laughs) and the velocity with which I've done it. So 60 years is a long time to be around, you know, and I've worked really hard and probably that work-life balance adage as well. I don't know what that means. I, I believe my life is my life. And so my network is my network. They're my friends. And so I don't necessarily draw a line between personal friendships and people I do business with. I just have amazing people in my life. And I really believe that. And that's kind of how I run my life. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting the way that you think about it, though, because it comes from a very generous place. It sounds to me in our experience, I think you might agree, Greta, is that the way that you are focused on outcomes, it's not your outcome, it's actually the other person's outcome. And you're always curious and looking for connections Mm. and Mm. ways that you can connect who you know and and what you know, Mm. which I think is, again, it's a mindset. And maybe that's part of the reason that you have such incredibly powerful relationships. Yeah, maybe it is. And is it unique in some way to me, not unique, but you know, is it a special attribute? Maybe, I don't know. To me, I just, it's kind of how I am. I'd love to transition now because you have a number of chairman roles and director roles, but particularly it seems fascinating viewpoint on startups and entrepreneurialism. What are your views on what it takes to succeed as an entrepreneur, given the perspective you've got internationally? Oh, I think, you know, it starts with a vision and a belief, a belief in in something greater than who you are and wanting to really contribute and make a difference. So it starts with that. Second thing, it starts with the ability to back yourself without a doubt. But in doing that, you know, people talk about bootstrapping. So 
you know, that means you give it everything you have, all your capital, all your time, all your passions. And so you, you want to see that grit and that commitment before you invest, I think, as an investor. That's yep. what I look for is how much people are willing to opt in and really back themselves. So that's really key. Work ethic. It's full-on commitment, right? It doesn't, the harder I work, the luckier I get. The other things are obviously the ability to communicate effectively. So to be able to understand what is your value proposition? Is it something that has a market or there's emerging trends that there'll be a new market, especially in today's day and age? As an entrepreneur, are you able to touch people's, not just their head, but their heart? Are you able to elicit the emotions that take them on the journey with you? So where do people fall down in, in setting up a, a startup? Yeah, sometimes underestimating their own skills. You know, they they have to sometimes be able to, you know, in the olden days we called it delegation, you know, but they have to be able to understand what is their true, true, true core capability and where can they supplement that with people who have skills greater than their skills and not be afraid to let go. I think that's, you know, mm. courage, you know. Yeah, the founder mm. syndrome, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting. <laughs> From startups and launch pads mm. back to the space theme mm. and you've talked about, you know, mission to Mars is your purpose. So how literal is that? Uh, that very mission. literal. But do you see yourself, you know, going, going on to the, Mars? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would absolutely have you booked love your ticket? to. No, I have not booked yet, but I may be invited. <laughs> Fingers <laughs> crossed. I go, whether I go, yeah, I, I probably first have to go orbital. You know, I have to go suborbital and that'll probably be one of those first flights that they're doing. You right, know, with between, Virgin Galactic flights. Exactly. Uh-huh. You know, maybe let's say between the U.S. and Australia to start creating a storyline. And an imagination for the masses that say it's possible. It's safe, yeah. Well, it's safe, it's yeah. possible. Now, what's next? And I always say maximize potential, raise the bar. Are you subscribing to the view that it's absolutely essential that, you know, we earthlings establish an outpost on Mars as, you know, we're going to need a place to escape to or at least have in parallel because of the Earth's sustainability is kind of running out? Is that the sort of driver behind your purpose? No, it's a great question. The driver isn't because of Earth's demise. For me, the driver is about how do we maximize the environment that we're within, right? Earth and all its forms. But then also we have to continue to think broadly. Maybe it is part of, you know, a, another planet, another destination, another habitat. And maybe it may be required. What is that movie, The Hundred? You know, mm-hmm. maybe we have to do that in the future, but that's not what's driving me. What's driving me is about what is the future of water, future of food? Because even here on Earth, there are so many people who are without and there's so many through the application of technologies and creative thinking and design thinking, all the things that go into being a successful entrepreneur, right? Through all of those capabilities, we can start solving some of the world's greatest problems. Now, By why Mars? Using space. Yeah, exactly. Right. So why Mars? So to me, Mars is part of the storyline and the journey. And literally, would I go to Mars? Absolutely. You know, maybe my DNA does. I'm not sure. Hopefully I'll be able to, you know, stay intact by the time I'm invited that I buy my ticket. But I think Mars is, there is potential. 
Obviously, we know that, you know, to establish a community on Mars. But there's also moons of Jupiter and other places, and who knows what else will be possible in the future. So it's kind of an analogy for the audacious. I love that. (laughs) Definitely an analogy for the audacious. So if we just cast your mind back now, if you could give advice to your 30-year-old self, what do you think that would be? Go for it, you know, in every way. With a purity of heart, with a purpose for your life, don't hold back. Don't stop us now, you know, <laughs> definitely don't hold back. It sounds to me like you've done that. I have, but I have so much more I want to do and will do. Maybe in closing, what I'd love to do is I have my big birthday party this year and the theme is Forever Young. And I believe very strongly in this and that's to always have your potential outweigh your experience. So if you really reflect on that, and I've believed in that my whole life, the more experience you gain, the more potential you have. But to maximize that potential, you have to be healthy, right? So you have to be well within yourself physically, mentally, emotionally. Aside from that, it's amazing. It's amazing what we can do, amazing what we can contribute. And again, the collective, imagine the synergy that's going to come from the movement that you're facilitating and curating you know women are 50 percent of the population so they are indeed yeah so comprehensive workforce participation everyone has to opt in we have to embrace all forms of diversity and uh, i wish you guys all the best it's amazing such an honor well thank you laura so much it's been an absolute joy talking to you and hearing about your journey we can't wait to see the potential that you bring to the world in the future. And just before we go, I'm sure our listeners would maybe like to know a little bit more about you or get in contact with you. How would they do that? I have probably three ways. Every once in a while, I'm not a big social media user. Um, I do some posts on Instagram. So Laura Anderson Global. I do some tweets. Yeah, Laura Anderson GL is my Twitter account. And then I have a website called Laura Anderson Global. It was developed with my niece. It's not 100% current, but it tells you who I am and what I think. And you can see there's themes there. And I link through to organizations and people that I really love and respect. And I also share different things that are part of my journey. So I'm now starting to tie together some videos and, and other things. Wonderful. Yeah, so well, we'll make sure we put those links onto the episode page on our website. Super. Really, it just leaves me to say again, thank you so much. It's been so wonderful talking to you. Claire, Greta, you guys are amazing. Thank you. I loved our conversation with Laura, didn't you? I most certainly did. And I actually really enjoyed the fact that even though she's so ridiculously accomplished, that she still struggles with some of the same insecurities that many of us face. Absolutely. And, you know, her tips and tools were really useful, I thought. Yeah, totally. The thing that strikes me about Laura is just how big she thinks. And I think we could all take a leaf out of her book in that regard. The fact she's on a mission to Mars, not because she thinks we need to get to Mars and set up outposts there, but because she knows that even the mission and the striving itself will lead to technology that will really positively impact our future here on Earth. Exactly like the moon landing mission did. Absolutely. That's a great example. Yeah, it's really inspiring. Yeah, sure is. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Tune in next time when we bring you fascinating insights from China and Hong Kong-based entrepreneur and restaurateur, Michelle Garneau. 
See you then. Ciao for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.